We're wrestling through some difficult questions for times like these next. Now, in difficult times, we're reminded, I think it's especially in difficult times, we, our, our lives come up against this sense of, do I really believe God is sovereign or not? Do I really believe he cares? I mean, it brings us to the age-old question that is on the lips of 90-year-olds and on the lips of 9-year-olds, and that is, if God is good, then why does he allow evil? If he's so sovereign, then why is there so much bad in the world? This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You From Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado, this is Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Turn, if you would, to Daniel chapter 11 as we're about to get started. You may recall in previous studies, Pastor Ed walked us through the 70 weeks of Daniel, 69 of which have already taken place and one still to come. Well, it's those 69 weeks that will receive our time and attention in our study time today. Here's Pastor Ed with part one of Your Future is Written by God. Daniel chapter 11, as we start a new chapter today, a Bible study that I've entitled, Your Future is Written by God. Now, we believe in the sovereignty of God. You might want to jot that down, the sovereignty of God. You can spell it S-O-V-E-R-E-I-G-N-T-Y, the sovereignty of God. This is the doctrine or the teaching that describes God's absolute authority and absolute power in this world and more personally in our lives. When you think of God's sovereignty, think of God's unlimited power, think of his unlimited control over the affairs of nature and of history. The Bible teaches us that God is working out his sovereign plan of redemption for the world. And the conclusion is certain. Another word to consider when we think of sovereignty is God's omnipotence. Omnipotence. That speaks of his power. Or another way of describing it, his all-encompassing power. God is almighty and he is all-powerful. That's not just some meme you see on Instagram. It's not some post on Facebook. It is the truth in our lives. God is all-powerful. Jot it down in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. That was God's promise to the nation of Israel in, under the old covenant. The principle of God is even greater now in the new covenant. God's plans for you. Now, if God wasn't sovereign, if he didn't have all power, then what difference does his plans mean? I mean, think about this for a second. This verse is so encouraging if you believe in the sovereignty of God. If you believe in all his all-powerful nature, which he describes himself. We didn't make that up. God describes himself that way. In the good times, God is sovereign. In the difficult times, God is sovereign. And in order for Jeremiah 29, 11, in order for anything in the scriptures to be encouraging, we need to trust in the author of the scriptures that he can bring to pass what he says. 
Now, in difficult times, we're reminded, I think it's especially in difficult times, we, our, our lives come up against this sense of, do I really believe God is sovereign or not? Do I really believe he cares? I mean, it brings us to the age-old question that is on the lips of 90-year-olds and on the lips of 9-year-olds, and that is, if God is good, then why does he allow evil? If he's so sovereign, then why is there so much bad in the world? And, and it brings a mind, a logical, rational mind, which God created. God is not against logic and reasoning at all. No, as a matter of fact, in Isaiah, God invites us to come and reason with him. And so in our logical minds, we come up against, this doesn't make sense to me. And one of the reasons why it doesn't make sense to you and me is because not only are we not omnipotent, all-powerful, we're also not omniscient. We don't have all knowledge. You see, if we had all knowledge, we would understand what's going on. But because we're living our lives in real time, and by the way, I've said this before, but it's good to be reminded. As we're reading of people in the Bible, real men and women, they live life in real time. They don't know what's up ahead. You know, we, have, we can turn the page and go, oh, don't worry about it, Joseph. Don't worry about it. 13 years and things are going to just, just wait it out. He doesn't know. He doesn't know if it's going to end in 13 seconds, 13 years, or if it's ever going to end, just like you and me. But if we had all knowledge, then we would know what God knows and if we knew what God knew, then we would do what God would want us to do. But we don't. And so we trust by faith, as God has demonstrated in times past, of his omniscience and his omnipotence. We're reminded that God has sovereign purposes for his people to give us a future and a hope. And so we learn in, Jan in chapter 10 that Daniel is about 85, 90 years old. And he was praying for 21 days. And the answer comes. And he gets an answer. And we have the message that he brought. Chapter 11 is the answer to Daniel's prayer. The best way to view this section, and again, you're going to have to put your prophetic lens back on. The best way to view this section is through the lens of Daniel's 70 weeks that he gave us in chapter 9. We studied those. If you weren't with us, study in chapter 9. One of the most if not the most important part of biblical prophecy, learning about the 70 weeks of Daniel. There was the 69 weeks, remember, and then the one. 69 weeks are fulfilled, and we await the fulfillment of that last week in the prophetic time clock with Israel in the future. If you're looking for prophetic insight on the things that are happening in the world, you've got to keep your eye on Israel. Israel is the epicenter of God's prophetic timetable and God's prophetic unveiling of the final days. It's Israel. It's not the United States of America. It's not Russia. It's not Lebanon. It's not Saudi Arabia. It's not Iraq and Iran. It's Israel. Israel is the epicenter. And now in chapter 11, in the study before us today, in verses 1 through 35, we're going to see things that, that already happened in the 69 weeks of Daniel. And then in our next study, through the end of the chapter, we're going to learn of things that will occur in the last seven years. Now for you Bible students, what is, what do we know, what is the title of the last seven years of human history? What's the title? How do we know it? Primarily, how do we know it? That 70th week of Daniel is known as what? The Great Tribulation Period. You're right. 
And it's unfolded for us in the end of Revelation. Now, some of you might have said Jacob's trouble. You're right as well, because there's quite a few names uh, in the scriptures for the last seven years of human history. But commonly, it's known as the Great Tribulation Period. In our study next time, we'll see the things that occur still yet future. But pick up with me in verse 1 now, chapter 11. I'm reading from the New Living Translation here in Daniel chapter 11. It says, I have been standing beside Michael to support and strengthen him since the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede. Now then, I will reveal the truth to you. Three more Persian kings will reign to be succeeded by a fourth, far richer than the others, and he will use his wealth to stir up everyone to fight against the kingdom of Greece. Now remember, Daniel has been in Babylon for 70 years. It started way back in chapter 1 when he was literally kidnapped and taken captive. And then they began the process of brainwashing him. Him and his friends were highlighted, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And yet in this time period as young men, they purposefully committed to following God. And they were not brainwashed, but rather they become stellar examples of how you can live in a broken, fallen, messed up world and still honor God. And you can be involved in highest level of leadership in government, in business. You, you can be a part of this world and its world system without being sinful and without having it corrupt you. And you can be used. Now that's a testimony throughout the scriptures. Another example I think of that was in Nehemiah's time. Nehemiah had a high level responsibility in government and yet he kept his commitment to the Lord and his faith only got stronger, not weaker. So Daniel's been in Babylon now for 70 years. And at this point, the Babylonians have been overthrown. The Medes and the Persians are in power. Darius the king, remember, was there during the lion's den. And so the angel speaks of three more kings to come, and the fourth will come and stir up trouble against Greece. That fourth king, as we look back, now Daniel doesn't know, but that fourth king, as we look back from history, his name is Xerxes, and his wealth was unbelievable. He was determined to wipe out Greece. And for four years, he built an army over, of over two and a half million fighting men. And he marched north and battled the Greeks and won. And yet in that victory, his army was weakened along with his strength. And Greece eventually rose up in great power. Remember, we were given all this in the dreams that we studied earlier of the successive kingdoms that were to come. Now notice in verse 3. Then a mighty king will rise to power who will rule with great authority and accomplish everything he sets out to do. But at the height of his power, his kingdom will be broken apart and divided into four parts. It will not be ruled by the king's descendants, nor will the kingdom hold up the authority it once had, for his empire will be uprooted and given to others. Now this leader, this mighty king that arises to power and rules with great authority and accomplishes, check this out, everything he set out to do, his name, Alexander the Great. Again, Daniel doesn't know this, but we look back and go, oh, exactly what God predicted came to pass. And remember, Alexander the Great, what was his desire? To rule the known world. And he did it much more rapidly than he expected. And we've studied this in previous studies. But again, this is a very precise prophecy. Let's look at it again. At the height of his power, his kingdom will be broken apart and divided into four parts. Well, you history students, you can look back and you can see that after Alexander the Great, it was indeed divided into four parts. Cassander took over the area of Macedonia and Greece. 
Lysimachus took over Asia Minor and Trace. Seleucus took over Syria and Babylonia. And Ptolemy took Egypt, Israel, and the island of Cyprus. It is so incredibly detailed and precise and accurate. I know there are people that make fun of the Bible. They make fun of prophecy. You know, as we begin to even look at what's happening in our world today, we, we see men rising up calling for a, literally, like this is no joke. This is no pastor pounding a table or a pulpit. Like you literally have people right now publicly, openly, without any hesitation calling for a one world leader. We need help. This crisis has shown us that we don't need all this fractured leadership. And, you know, I have to say, as you look around the world today, you look at the various levels of leadership, it is fractured. This country's doing it this way. This guy's doing it that way. This, the president does it this way. But then by the time the doctor does it this way, and then there's the mayor, then there's the governor, and he's like, whoa. And it seems like it's a setup for, all, for the world that's alive during that time. Of course, as believers, we're, as believers... Unless you are deceived and you fall away, you're not going to go for a one world leader. You're not going, the Bible predicts it. And it predicts it within the time of the great tribulation period. What this world needs is not a one world leader that we know as the Antichrist. What this world needs, listen, this is personal. I'm not just talking about the population of the world. What this world needs, and since you're a part of this world, is to repent of their sins and surrender their life to Jesus Christ. That's the only answer. This world isn't going to be saved. It's not going to last forever. The Bible says there will be a new earth, a new heavens, that the things that of this earth will roll up like a scroll with fervent heat. What's needed in the solution, listen, what's needed in the solution of your life right now is for you to acknowledge just how far you are from God. You're crying out, I need this. But the answer is, you need God. You need to recognize that God is sovereign in your life and admit it. You need to recognize that your, the condition of your life was so desperate and so bad. You could even use the word wretched. You know, in one of the famous hymns, it talks about God saving a wretch like me. It does, the song doesn't say saves a wretch like you. The song says saves a wretch like me. And as you sing that song, you acknowledge that our condition, apart from God, was in desperate need. And man's greatest need was met by God's greatest deed. Because he reached out in love, sending his own son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins and mine. So enough of this calling out for a one world leader. Enough of this for crying out for our, you know, we studied through the book of Judges how the judges did that which was right in their own eyes. And then when they got in trouble, God sent them a deliverer. And then they calmed down for a little while. And then they went and got, they were worse because they never really dealt with the heart issue. It was, they, what they did, they didn't need a leader. They needed to repent. And that's, your, that's got what God needs for us too. And then let's just speak again. So in a few moments, I'm gonna give you an opportunity. If you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior, you've never been born again, I'm going to invite you to follow Jesus in just a few moments when we finish our study. But I also want to speak to you that name the name of Christ. You're not out of the woods. 
The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so many people make that a debate. You go, oh, wait a minute. You know, why would we need to confess our sins? We're already believers. I'm gonna tell you why we confess our sins. Because even though we're believers, we still sin. And that confession, that word in the, in the Greek language literally means to say the same thing. And so there's a sense of repentance, not unto salvation, but unto relationship. It's the same thing when you are in an argument with your spouse, or you're in an argument with your kids, or you're in an argument with your, your sister or your brother, and, and it just blows up. And, and you come to her, you come to him, and you say, will you forgive me for what I just did? Like, it's not like you weren't sister and brother anymore. No, you're asking for forgiveness, not so that you can become, oh, dad, I hope you'll be my dad again. No, you're a son, a daughter. You're a brother, a sister, admitting your sin so that you might enjoy what? Fellowship again and relationship. And that, that unrighteous behavior can be put in the past. No, when you confess your sin, you're not getting saved over and over and over again. It's not that you haven't experienced the forgiveness of God for all of your sins past, present, and even the future. No, it's your acknowledgement that your present condition is now out of relationship with God. Like you're not enjoying it. Is he still God? Yes. Does a believer sin? Does, does that believer stay a believer? Yes. But you lose all the benefits. And so even as you, a follower of Jesus today, you know, I was thinking, if this crisis hasn't brought maturity into your life, you've wasted another trial. You know, when great trial came upon my life, I started reading all kinds of things just so the Lord could clear my mind and I could have new insights poured into my heart. And I forget who it was, man. I read so much, I don't even know who it was. So I can't give the specific quote. But someone said, someone wrote, someone taught, I don't remember, but I'm owning it as my own I know someone else said it, but it's mine too. And they said, I learned that I didn't want to waste my trial. And what they meant by that is the trial is the trial. We're in the midst of it. But are we going to waste it through complaining and murmuring and running away from God, upset with him, mad at him? Or are we going to embrace what God is doing in our lives through the trial, through the testing, because it is in our lives currently. And the church has been shaken by this. Jesus said that in the latter days, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And we've been shaken, church. Has it strengthened us? Is our faith stronger? I hope so. Because you see, prophecy, even though people make fun of prophecy, prophecy is the calling card of God. The prophecies are so precise. As we learned in previous studies, people say Daniel didn't write Daniel. Or they say, Daniel didn't write Daniel when Daniel wrote Daniel uh, because they just can't take it. But again, when you open up the Bible, go ahead and hold your place here in Daniel. Go back to Genesis chapter 1 with me for a moment. Just, just, just think of this, Genesis chapter 1. And again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. You can read it from whatever you're using. But here's what the New Living Translation says, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's how the whole book starts. And it challenges you in the very first second of opening up the Bible. If you believe chapter 1, verse 1, which you should, <laughs> the rest of the Bible is very believable. 
You believe in the God who created the heavens and the earth. Not a little idol on your dashboard. Not what some pastor, some priest, some person told you. Not some false televangelist. Not some weird cultic doctrine. Listen, you believe in the God of all creation. The creator and sustainer of all things. Then you look back in Daniel. Can, Dan, can God answer a prayer with precise prophetic insight? Say it out loud. The answer is yes. Of course he can. Now, God speaks history as it's already happened. That's prophecy. You could write next, next to prophecy if you haven't already. History in advance. That's what God is able to do. Give us history in advance. Again, jot it down. Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 25. The Bible says, and God speaks through Ezekiel. For I am the Lord. If I say it, it will happen. <laughs> I like that. If I say it, it will happen. There will be no more delays, you rebels of Israel. I will fulfill my threat of destruction in your own lifetime. I, the sovereign Lord. There's that word again. Sovereign Lord. I, the all-powerful, the all-encompassing power of God, have spoken. I like that. Mark that. If I say it, it will happen. And looking back on God's promises, again, 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 56. Praise the Lord, who has given rest to his people Israel, just as he has promised Listen, this is so overwhelming. Uh, even some things on my mind today. Listen, this just speaks right to my heart. Not one word has failed of all the wonderful promises he gave through his servant, Moses. That's why the book of Daniel is so comforting to the Christian. It confirms our faith. It strengthens our resolve and settles our mind. So much has already been worked out that you can't deny it unless a person simply dismisses it altogether. You just can't deny it. These, I mean, right here, what we're reading, these, Alexander the Great gets, he, he conquers the known world at the time. He's discouraged by it. He's like, I can't believe it. There's nothing else more to conquer. He commits suicide, and then his kingdom is divided between four of his generals. It happened. Look it up. See. You don't even need to look it up. God said it happened, but you can look it up. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. He's leading a study from Daniel. Pastor Ed, we have some exciting news. Not long ago, we put together a new website, and our listeners can take a look right now at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Can you give us a brief tour of the site? I'd be glad to. Please connect with us through AboundingGraceRadio.com. AboundingGraceRadio.com. Don't forget the two Gs between Abounding and Grace. We put a lot of work into this. Uh, Pastor Joshua has revamped it. I'm looking at it right now. It's really neat, but it's simple as well, because we really want to connect you with the teachings here at Calvary Church. So go to AboundingGraceRadio.com, and there you it can be a hub to connect with our teachings, to connect with archives of our daily radio broadcasts, get you to our home church website where you can watch live, download our free app, and on and on the list goes. And I'm noticing here, it says, Till the Whole World Hears. And it's been our commitment as we launched Abounding Grace Radio so many years ago to give the world. You know, we were a brand new church plant, just a few people meeting in a school, and we were thinking, I was thinking, what can we give to this community? We don't have much but what we have, we want to give. And what we have is the Word of God. And we have the privilege of teaching it verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And you can connect with us there. 
Um, you can donate to the ministry there. You can listen to to the podcast. You can listen to my leadership podcast there. You can listen to my to our live call in radio broadcast called Calvary Live, where I answer questions live uh, through the radio station here at Grace FM and all over the country. Uh, and there's so much more as you scan through. So go to aboundinggraceradio.com, and it would be really good for you to support us financially. Uh, it helps to cover the costs of getting this radio-produced Bible study on this station. So if you would hit the donate button and connect with us that way, uh, we would be so blessed. All the resources are going to go right back in to Blessing Abounding Grace uh, and expanding its reach and paying for its cost. So thanks so much for partnering with us. Go to our website, AboundingGraceRadio.com. Again, stop by AboundingGraceRadio.com. And before you leave, click on How Has Abounding Grace Blessed You? We'd love to hear your thoughts. Here in the month of December, we picked out a timely resource we think you'll enjoy and get a lot out of. It would even make a great Christmas gift. It's called The Case for Christmas. So who was in the manger that first Christmas morning? Not everyone agrees on the answer to that. If he was the divine son of God, how do you know for sure? Well, Lee Strobel investigates in The Case for Christmas, and we'll send it to you when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more today. Please make your request by phone at 877-30-GRACE. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.